Hello, welcome to the Hales Owen Apostolic Church. Apostolic meaning what God says, not what man thinks. Please enjoy this teaching, and if you want more, please visit the YouTube channel or the website on www.halesowenapostolicchurch.org. Great. Just listen to the prayers, actually. I just thought, I saw this uh, quote, and I don't normally quote many people from the world, but there's this little-known prophet who said this, Without God, there is no virtue, because there is no prompting of conscience. Without God, there is a coarsening of society. Without God, democracy will not and cannot endure. If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, Prime Minister, of America, the President of America. So yes, we uh, he prof- prophesied these times, his own country, our country. We can definitely see it. So a uh, a short sermon for you today, and it's about keys. It's called the key of knowledge, and the scripture that got me started on this uh, was Luke. Chapter 12, verse 52. And it says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in were hindered. Wow. Um, The key. So, often look at people that don't believe in God or have struggle with faith as you know needing a key to unlock that and as I saw this scripture it really spoke to me and I said because I was thinking there must be a key to unlock the hearts of the unbelievers that there must be a key to reach the lost so what does what do good people do try and seek the Bible right what's it say about keys I need a key well, you know what the Bible told me? Charlotte, we're learning about keys today. All right? So hopefully you'll be able to get in your house on the way back. Um, but yes, so what does the Bible tell us about keys? All right, this is a quick sermon. Jesus is and has the keys. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. And Jesus says, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys. Thus ends my son. Thanks so much. That's that, isn't it? That's, that's what I was, <laughs> as I was looking at this, I was, I was thinking, you know, so in a, when you're writing a sermon, you've got to be so careful to make sure there's more of God than the word, more of the word of God than the word of man. Because sometimes you don't need any more. He is the king. Sacrifice Jesus from your life. You've got no keys. Anyway, we're here for a bit more than a two-minute sermon. But the scripture that got me thinking about that, just as an aside, was Psalms 18, 29. Mark, and I share your love for these psalms. They're just... I used to like go travelling with work, and I was thinking, why do I put the book of psalms in there? So boring and stuff like that. It's incredible. Once you, start, once you get that Holy Spirit in you and you, start, and you understand the context in which I've just start trusting God, thinking this could apply to me. It's amazing. Psalm 18, 29. 
Some of them are so simple as well, like this one. For by you, I could run against a troop. By my God, I could leap over a wall. That's it. I, don't need, I couldn't say it any better or simpler. There's just something about that scripture. By my God, I can leap over a wall. I don't need to elaborate that. I don't need interpretation. I don't need anything apart from the word of God. Telling me that, let's just jump over that wall with God. By my God. Not by myself. Not by going to the gym. Not by any of my friends or family. By my God, I can leap over that wall. And that, that is the scripture, isn't it? It's disarming. It reminds us how humbled we are with this God. And our God is just elegant in his words. That is our Lord. So anyway, trying to, you know, do some extra stuff with this sermon. Um, <laughs> I think that... <laughs> we don't need it. We could just pray for another half hour if you want. But we'll get back into it. John chapter 10, verse 9. And this is Jesus talking. Jesus said some incredible stuff. And, um, and he said, I am the door. I am the door. By me, if any man, so by me, if anyone enters in, he shall be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. So he'll find fulfillment. He'll find what he needs. But by me, if anyone enters in. So the Bible tells us that there is a key, and that key unlocks the door of salvation, and that key and the door and salvation is Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 9. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth, not loose, loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. We get the keys. Jesus gives us the keys. And he gives us the keys to drive this. The closest I could think of was the spiritual car. You get these keys, and they start this car, this spirit, alive in you. And Jesus guides us with the Holy Spirit. So that's all the lessons, and the test is our life, and how we leave it. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to ensure we can drive this car. Try driving it with our Holy Spirit. You're in your flesh, and it doesn't work. We always talk about faith. Faith is vitally important, and all that means, really, is that we must trust God with the things we can and cannot see. It's harder sometimes with the things we can't see. Our futures, our money, our action and thoughts, here and now, and in the future. If we are not able or prepared to walk by faith, he won't give us the keys, because we won't be able to drive the car. So if you wonder why sometimes things aren't working in your life when they are written in the Word, have you picked up those keys? Have you started the car? Are you driving it? For example, just one example, there's millions. But God tells us to not to store up riches in this world now uh, without taking care for the next. So we can still store up riches but it comes secondary and we can't take our eye off the next world are we doing this? just a simple one are we doing enough of it? faith without works is dead and we cannot please God without faith and God wants us to be spiritually active on earth 
That's why he gave us those keys and tries to encourage us to take them. He wants us to be binding things of evil, things of antichrist, things that prevent the word and the spirit of God growing on earth. And he wants us to loose his powers. So the key represents power. God's power on earth to use. Yeah? That the key that you think ain't going to start. You've got no power. You're back to walking everywhere. How much more scope do you have when you finally can drive that car? (laughs) But, alas, and here is the problem. You have no faith. You literally, and I said one has no faith if one cannot read the word and do it. Simple. You're not reading the word and doing it. There's no faith. That's the doing. That's the faith. Otherwise, you're just reading it. If God cannot trust us to do the simple things, and I say really simple things, so I didn't have to learn much of the Bible to get baptized in the name of Jesus, full immersion. It's very simple. It's clear. You don't have to get confused with that. That has to happen if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And then being filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the things you can actually scientifically test and prove If you do this, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, fantastic, simple, very clear instructions. If we can't even do that right, why would he ever begin to trust us with the salvation of our friends, of our family, of power on this world that can overcome the greatest things that the devil can throw at us? Why would he give us that if we cannot follow simple, clear instructions in the the word? We can follow simple instructions in the world. Sometimes that's easier. Luke 9, 62. And Jesus said to him, No man, having put his hand to the plough and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And that applies in so many different ways. But you cannot move forwards and move backwards at the same time. Yeah? Does that make sense? Yeah. Andrea, come up here. <laughs> Just a minute. I'm going to put you there and face the crowd. You are. And now all I want you to try and do is just move forwards a bit, please. Brilliant. Good. Now can you move backwards? Now can you move forwards and backwards at the same time? No. <laughs> That's come on then. Keep going. <laughs> I didn't know you could do the splits. That was great. She didn't move yet. She stayed in the same place. Thanks, Andrea. Round of applause for Andrea. So, Andrea, my trusted assistant, the Debbie McGee of our church, uh, has demonstrated it is impossible to move forwards and backwards at the same time. You're either moving forwards or you're moving backwards. Just remember that. So, which way are you moving today? I would suggest that we're all moving forwards because we'll actually got out of bed and got to church. Hallelujah, that's a start. We start the day on the right footing. Let's hope it doesn't go downhill from there. I want more of God in my life, please. Why not? What have I got to lose? I want more of God in my life. I want more of God in all of your lives because you're here with me and then there's more God. I want God's help in the small things and the big things, please. I don't want it all to be on me. I'll take everything I can get from God because it doesn't make sense to to leave anything on the table. He's the all-powerful creator of everything we've ever seen. 
It's got everything on the table. So I don't have that creative power. I can't speak into existence, the entire universe. I'm nothing. I cannot change the heart of man. And that power, I'm more than happy to have. He's so helpful. He helps us and gives to us. Our cup overflows with the goodness of God. If only we accept him into these things. If only we seek him first and let him help us in every aspect of life. What have you got to lose? Why go off on your own and not follow the word? This thing stood up for thousands of years with people trying to fall away and gradually realizing, yeah, okay, you were right, God. And that's all right. God knows what we're like. And he says, as long as we keep repenting, he'll keep forgiving us. When we forget to repent, that's when we know we're in trouble. There are difficult decisions we all have to make. Difficult positions we find ourselves in every single day. And we need God's help for that. Otherwise, we tend to make a mistake. Upon mistake, upon mistake, because we're finite. We don't have infinite knowledge. God has infinite knowledge. I want some of that. If I'm on a game show, I'm going to be praying for God. You know, He'll give me the answers and I'll win the jackpot. Life is very similar to that. So here's the question. And Mark talked about this earlier. Do we really want that? Or do we wish that that would happen to us? Subtle distinction there. If we want something, what do we do? Go and get it. We grab those keys off the table. I want to drive that car, Mum. Come on, give me those car keys. If we wish, it's a passive thing, isn't it? It's like, oh, I wish I could have a car. I wish I could have the keys. There's, it's totally passive. God hasn't put us on earth to be passive. We are not waiting and seeing. There might be a time for that, but we cannot always do that. So take no concern for the way you thought things were, or the tradition of your particular religion, or your way of life, or your family, or the culture you grew up, forget about all of that. If it comes before God, all of that is sin. Forsake it now and follow. Follow the word of God and nothing else. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. People do do crazy things. Just seen Andrea try to walk forward and backwards at the same time. And they can get themselves to believe things are true when they're false. I've seen this firsthand. I've actually been there, haven't I, Mark? <laughs> so people are crazy sometimes. And some people think they are wise labeling the Bible as a good story or something that isn't relevant now. But God doesn't make mistakes. And he didn't go through the sacrifice of his only begotten son for us to take this lightly. He didn't do that for nothing. He didn't have to do that. And we throw it back in his face daily. Trying to change any of this word, even in our minds, picking and choosing what we think we like the sound of, and remove the Bible from the world, the more, as, as Ronald Reagan <laughs> The more we take the Bible out of the world, it is equivalent to throwing away the key. All of a sudden we find there's generations that don't know how... The key's still there. God's always given us that. We've learned. He doesn't change. But they're even further away from being able to stand up and grasp that key. They might wish for something like that, but they don't know how to grab the key, 
stick it in the car. John 10. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Sorry. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep and leads them out. Aren't we so special? By name. Don't anyone know, there's another door there. There's a door. It's the same door that we learned about earlier. And there is a keeper of that door. The knowledge of where to find the door is critical. Paul talks to us in his letters to some of the churches about people pointing in the dark. People want this salvation. But without knowing where the door is and what the key is, they are extremely unlikely to find it by groping around in the dark. And we have here a process of being made free, this freedom. The doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I can imagine people saying, why are you talking about Jesus? What, how, how, how does that relate to me? And if you're not sure about how that parable relates to you, just read on. Jesus explains it. He says, I am the door. He literally says that. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And go in and out and find pasture. Go in and out. Why are people going in and out? To help the ones that haven't got through the door. They don't know where the door is. They have no idea of how to pick up the key. You know, there are some people I speak to that say you cannot use the Bible to prove the Bible. I don't know if anyone's had that one. You cannot prove anything from this book. (laughs) That sounds vaguely logical on the front of it, but it's absurd. It's like trying to prove that our pastor exists without looking at his life, without meeting him, without reading anything about him, without knowing anything that actually exists about Mark, or referring to anything that he's ever done. Why, if you wanted to learn about Mark, why would you discount all the facts about Mark? doesn't make sense, does it? And another one is like the Queen, trying to prove that the Queen lives in, lived in Buckingham Palace, yet without actually looking in Buckingham Palace. It's the looking into things that give you the necessary proof. It's the looking into Mark and what you've done in your life with your faith that tells, you, tells us the type of man Mark is. And it's like reading into this book that tells us what God is like and tells us how he can change our lives. And then we can just analyze it, the prophecies, the consistency, the scientific statement thousands of years before science has finally caught up. And they prove that there is something more to this than the word of man. It's not personal, though, is it? That's very kind of distant. We can look at that from a distance. You know, okay, it kind of stacks up. There's the personal element to this as well. At work, we have this trouble. Okay? So everyone's got a job description, and everyone's got, these are the tasks you have to do. And we realized a few weeks ago that 
It's not personal enough. There's a personal onus on everyone to do those tasks really well. And I shouldn't have to show them and train them what that looks like. That should just be what people do who are working well, you know, who want to work and succeed. They do things well. Show me what the goal, where the goal is and I'll kick the ball over the line. It's the same with this. There's so much in here that we can test out, that we can experience something outside of this world with through the word, through applying it, through testing it, through speaking it, through trusting some of the things God said, through coming outside of our comfort zone yeah. and going into God's comfort zone for us, not the predefined comfort zone that we give ourselves. It's only by doing some of the things that God says that we actually start to have that relationship with God. So just understanding the Bible and understanding some of the amazing things in there isn't enough. God wants to know us. And he knows us as we gradually walk towards him in faith. Because just learning the words isn't faith. That is academic study. And without faith, you cannot please God. It's what you do with the knowledge that matters. And that's in every walk of life. It is only by using the key that the, that the door can actually be unlocked. Yeah, Jesus waits at the door. But he expects us to use the key of open. And no, it's not written by man either. This isn't a book written by man. David, if you write a letter, who's writing the letter? You or the pen? Is the pen writing the letter? No, you're writing the letter. Can the pen understand? People that actually pen this didn't write it in the same way that David doesn't write his, the pens don't write David's letter, it's David. And that is why when he says that not one jot or tittle shall change from his word until all is fulfilled, he meant that. Because that's the word of God. The Bible is totally unique. It's hard to look at this without just it's survival. Everyone who doesn't believe in God hates it. So how is it still here? It's continuity. What is it? 40 different authors, thousands of years of history. It's circulation every year. It's the highest published book. The unerring truth. And the way it can take you down. Just as a sentence. You can read it in, in the peace of your own home. And feel conviction, feel emotion. And they're just words. You might have read those same words anywhere else. But with God, we could jump over a wall. I could be in a kid's book. But when it's in here and we read it, even now I can feel tingling down my spine. It's just such elegant simplicity. Thank you, Lord. Because he knows what we're like. We need that. So, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It starts with the word. John 14, 22. Judas, I love the, not Iscariot, not the nasty one, the good one, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Wow. Didn't see that until I was preparing for this. I've read that, you know, many times. By some reason, it didn't resonate with me. Lord, how is it that you will manifest, so you will appear 
You're, you will appear to us and not the world, so the world cannot see you. But you let us see you. Jesus answered to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and will come to him, and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So even Jesus didn't have freedom. Jesus did the will of the Father. He was there for a purpose. Man has no power after death. Once we leave this life, as we have seen with our queen a few months ago, there's nothing you can do to affect life on earth. You've passed. We pass into eternity. Everything that had any value in the material realm is totally worthless. Because we don't need it. There's no currency. Therefore, why? Why do people put all their eggs in a basket, in their worldly basket? And don't put any eggs in the heavenly basket. Why don't people put something away for the future? I was told that. Even on, you know, the base things of life. Put a bit of money away for the future. Clear, isn't it? Really clear. Sensible. I don't think anyone would disagree. Well, I've had one person actually I've to disagree with that. But generally, on the whole, people want to think about, you know, trying to prepare for the future. It's logical, it's clear, it's rational. That's not enough, though, is it? We work against spiritual strongholds. And those spiritual strongholds lock people up. They're called spiritual strongholds for a reason, yeah? They are strong and they hold people back from the true calling of God. They prevent people from understanding and accepting Logical reasoning. They can't swallow it. When it's presented to them, and it's extremely logical, and I've, luckily, I've had a few people now and again who will humour me to get to the point of discussion where they have to admit that there's actually something in this. Or they can just, just get there and then just ignore it. It's their choice. It's their choice, or is it? 2 Corinthians 10, chapter 10, verse 3 to 4. For we walk in the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So there you go. I've already failed, haven't I? I've been warming according to the flesh. I can get them to agree that they're totally stupid, but they haven't looked at all the facts. Can I? You could do that. Through what you know, Ethan, you could get people to that point if they've got an open mind to, to discuss these things with you. But we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of the fortresses. That stronghold is a fortress. So we need to spiritually destroy that fortress before anyone's going to be able to walk towards this. Sometimes it's slower. Sometimes they come to Bible study and they see the word and then that starts to break down the stronghold. Sometimes it's quicker. Sometimes we lay hands. There's no prescribed way apart from trusting God, following the word of God, trying to get that. Use the word of God and not your words to break down that spiritual stronghold. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, people would rather die in their sins. Logical, illogical. If they really knew and had the freedom to make a fair decision, would they choose to die in their sins or not? Knowing what we know from the Bible and our relationship with God, there is no sense in dying without Jesus Christ. Someone has to give them the key. John 14.6 And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, does it need interpretation? Does it need a whole sermon to expand on it? Oh, it's extremely clear. That, that, my eight-year-old daughter could definitely understand that. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Mark, that's going to go in your tombstone. <laughs> I can't stop thinking of you on that scripture. But that's so true. I mean, again, it's so easy, isn't it? It is what it is. So it must be impossible to study the Bible and come to the conclusion that it makes sense to ignore Jesus for our worldly lives. Would you ever jump out of a plane, Ethan, without your parachute on? Eternity is a much deeper, longer, bigger drop as we fall out of life into eternity. To do that without the parachute of Jesus Christ is madness. And that's forsaken even the promises he tells us in this life, which we all know about. So without him, we can fall mighty far. And if we don't pick up the parachute before we die, there's no other way to get in. That's what the scripture says. So why forsake him now? It just doesn't make sense unless these powers are at play that affects the individual's ability to make logical decisions. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Wow, if it's deep for God, that's going to be incredibly deep for us, almost to the point of us not being able to accept it in our lives because we're so fleshly and worldly. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. We've got to get His Spirit inside us. We cannot understand God until we have His Spirit inside us. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So here we are. Here we see people can only begin to understand the things of God once they have the Spirit. And it is God who gives us His Spirit. We have received the Spirit who is from God. The way of the world over the last few decades just to carry on and you know, we started with Ronald Reagan, 
and it, it went through this, it's definitely, the way, since Ronald said that, and where we are now, I think it's made it more difficult for people to seek the Lord. So it's made it more difficult for him to fill people with his spirit. He's not going to force us, unfortunately. Having pride in sin turns the will of God on its head, on its head as it encourages us to live lives in the opposite way to what God laid out on Mount Sinai in the Ten Commandments. Whether we like it or not, he gave us Ten Commandments so we can know how God wanted mankind to live their lives. And the more, however, the more our lives are entwined in sin, it's harder to extract ourselves from it. To the point where we don't even know it's sin. And the Bible says it so easily ensnares us. Yet here we are. Here we are here today. A remnant of spirit-filled believers with a single common denominator. I love the spirit-filled church because there's only one common denominator. It's full of random people. The one common denominator is we all saw God. We all wanted those keys. Some of us went on a longer process to, to actually pick them up. Some of us, it was quicker. But for many different reasons, we all wanted to come to God. And thank God that we knew or were taught enough to know how to do it the right way. We were given the keys thanks to someone taking the time to explain the Bible to us and to demonstrate the power of God before our very eyes. A scripture that often comes into my head is from Galatians 4.16. Am I your enemy? Am I therefore your enemy just because I tell you the truth? It feels like it sometimes. So we started the quote with a quote from Jesus aimed at the lawyers. You can apply that to the knowledgeable people of the world who withheld knowledge of God from the people. But this is a two-way process. Yeah, so you can withhold knowledge. Also, the knowledge could be there and the people might not want to take it. It's one thing giving people the key. It's another one helping them take it. So I think probably learn about the gift. And you can only accept a gift. You have to accept it if you want to take it. Yeah? And it's a bit like that. It's down to the individual. And I often wonder, I do wonder what's stopping them taking it. It's so obvious that this is the right thing for your life, for your family, for your afterlife. What's stopping you taking it? And we know the rational arguments and discussions can run their course, and it just isn't enough. They seem unable to accept it, to take it in. And they seem to be enslaved by sin. And it doesn't have to be one of these awful sins, where even the world will call it sin, but just unbelief. We know that's a sin. And the bottom line is, they just simply aren't free to take that kick. They don't have the freedom to take the key. Who is free enough to take the key? I wasn't free. I was enslaved. I was blinded. And it took a while to understand what the key was, where it is, how to, you know, understand God. And even to give God a moment in my life to see that, you know, he does exist and there is this amazing God out there. I was indoctrinated in unbelief. 
So that means I was brought up in unbelief, I was taught unbelievable things, I was taught, you know, that God didn't exist. So I'm bound to find it hard to believe in something. All of a sudden there's these keys, what, and there is a heaven. That's, that, takes, that takes a process. So I couldn't even pick up the key. And I couldn't even give, therefore, I couldn't even give it a try to see what's on the other side of the door. I was so far away from that. I wasn't free. I wasn't free to do something that would have eternal benefits and is a logical no-brainer. Freedom. Why do we even believe in freedom? You know, why is that part of our life? Why does it make sense for people to be free? I just want to have a look at this. And we live in a country that's progressively becoming less free, but it's based on the foundational beliefs Biblical concepts. It comes from the Bible, the concept of actual freedom. And over time, yes, we've distorted what it was started with. But in this modern society, have you ever thought why people in this country believe in free will, free speech, and the freedom to determine our own actions? Why is that a good thing? Why do people mindlessly quote that? Most people don't actually get past that. Most people would agree with that, but they don't question why. Why is that so important? Why do we have to have free speech? Why do we have to have free will? And why do we have to have the freedom to determine our own actions? We just accept that. Yeah, okay, we'll all buy into that. It does sound sensible, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound sensible? Yeah, they all sound like good. You'd have to be Hitler or something to deny that. Well, the Bible tells us to judge things by the fruit. Yeah, that's how we judge whether something is good or bad. Maybe let it run its course and see what came out of that. Was that good or was that bad? We can see that as we question what we would actually mean by freedom, that to fully have that as a good thing would take a change in the will of man. It would. Hearts would have the heart of man would have to change. The nature and the will of mankind would have to change. There are so many examples throughout history, and even now, where people have managed to get freedom or get total control over something, and everything gets worse. Everything gets worse. Uh, the thing that's driving me on this, rich, working-class footballers, they get their millions, they build a castle and move away. And it doesn't benefit anyone. Then they get depressed and then all the rest of the stuff happens. Totalitarian rulers. We all know a few. We could quote their total power. They held all the power of enormous faith in their hand and they could bend it to their will. What good came of that? Decadent Western society. I've got to throw this in here. We've got more free time. We've got more resource than any generation before. Are things getting better or worse? So I ask you again, is freedom a good thing or a bad thing? Worldly freedom is a bad thing. The freedom seems to never benefit those who have it, or anyone else. The worldly version of freedom tends to be a selfish one. It shows the corrupt heart of man, because there's nothing stopping it. Good quote this, isn't it? There's no prompting of conscience. 
It's one thing sacrificing yourself for someone else if you have to. But what about sacrificing yourself for someone else if you didn't have to? Interesting, isn't it? Jesus didn't have to do it. That, for me, is the distinction here. Evidence shows us, and I encourage you to go away and prove me wrong at this, that there's not many examples where the more freedom and time people have to determine their own actions, the worse things get. Amen. Agree, disagree? That's the freedom of man. Freedom from what? What are they trying to get free from? Poor, poorness? Lack of money? Lack of funds? Lack of friends? And for what purpose then? You finally extract yourself out of money problem, where, where are you going next? True freedom, this is interesting, okay, pin back your ears. I was quite pleased with this bit. True freedom is a gift from God. Who would have thought that? There's another five-second sermon. True freedom is a gift from God. It has, if you think it through, freedom has to be something from outside this world. It cannot be a product of this world. Because we know this world is dissatisfied. But even if you had everything the world could offer, you had all of you were my slaves, and I, I didn't have to work a day in their life, I'd still have troubles. I'd still have sin. I'd still have doubts. I'd still not be happy every single day. <sighs> so, there has to be something from outside this world. That makes logical sense, actually. Freedom of God promises us the freedom that God promises us is opposite to the freedom the world tries to achieve. This concept of freedom turns everything on its head. Let me give you a few scriptures. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. But don't use the liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Why does he have to say that? Because I've just given you examples of a rich footballer. They do use that liberty... Because they, they are given liberties, they can afford to do different things for the And they use it as an opportunity for the flash of it. Not through love to serve one another. 2 Corinthians 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So until we have his Spirit, we can't even comprehend this freedom. 1 Peter 2.16 as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. So this freedom that we might be able to expect so we can actually do more and, and more of our will, um, if we apply it to vice, or we can apply it to helping others, and the natural flesh will push us towards the vice. But God's telling us, go the other way. Help others. There's liberty even in that. Interestingly, bond servants, okay? Let's just drill down a bit. The New King James Version of the Bible translated doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S. So that's the Greek word that they're translated into servants. But actually, if you just look at the Greek translation of that, it's slave. Slave. And it's quite shocking that, that clearly they, they didn't translate the word slave because it's probably shocking translation and more socially acceptable if I put servant there instead. 
But that word is nearer to slave than servant. So, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as slaves of God. You see, the concept of freedom is different to what we might think. We are never free. Forget about trying to be free. We are never free to do whatever we want without implications. That does not exist. We are either chained by sin or we are slaves of faith. You choose. And the freedom comes, the first bit of freedom, because we're having a choice. Realizing there is a choice there. Christian freedom is totally different to what the world calls freedom. We are made to be free from the world to then become a slave for Jesus. The Bible tells us that we are either slaves of sin or slaves for God. Not servants, but slaves. The big difference is we are owned. Rather owned by the Savior, or we're owned by God. And we're owned because God paid the price. Jesus purchased us for a price and bound us to his Lord and Master, to our Lord and Master. And our Lord chooses to make us free. Amen. So our owner can do that. What a gift. And then what do we do with it? He fills us with our spirit. He forgives us from our past. Makes us free. And then what happens? Well, my opinion is it's a bit of a process. He sets us on the right path. He shows us where that narrow and straight path is. But it was started by that great sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and doesn't stop until we're with him in heaven. It's a process. That is a constant process. Matthew Chapter 10, verse 27. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus was a slave to the will of God. He didn't have that choice. He could have. He had enough power to change the way things did. But he was there for a reason. In John 8, 32. It's the knowing of that truth, who Jesus Christ is, what we are. It's the knowing of this truth that starts to make us free. And once God has made us free, we are free indeed. Who could have the power above God? Who or what is above God that could undo any of this? Every man, one more quote from a human. A.W. Tozer. Because every man is as close to God as he wants to be. He is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wills to be. Yet we must, must distinguish between wanting and wishing. By what I mean, wholehearted desire. Certainly there are those who wish they were holy or victorious or joyful, but are not willing to meet God's conditions to obtain that prize. Can't change the conditions. It doesn't change. We have to change to meet the conditions. So, I wanted to leave you with two bits of scripture. A bit, one, one a vision that I think applies to all of us here, from Isaiah. I forget where in Isaiah this is. 
But this is a vision for a spirit-filled Christian, and there is no other type of Christian. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Thanks, Mark. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. What a blessing. Once we are made free, we are anointed to preach the good tidings to the poor. Don't try and do it before. You can't be in the prison showing people how to get out. First question I ask is, well, why are you here? And that's what we mean when everyone's saying the sanctification, the distancing of ourselves from the world is really important. You've got to see that in you. So in the final bit of scripture, and every year, when I walk, so I read the Bible every year now, and when I get to Psalm 119, for me, that's a, that, it's just like a, a huge bookmark in the year. You get to this psalm and you think, wow, there is something special about that. Not only is it the biggest chapter in the Bible, it's incredible. It's an upswelling of emotion of how wonderful this word is, if only we and you can see the excitement. I know you read the start of Psalm 119, and it's just, you can't help but put a smile on your face and get enthusiastic. Ah, oh, yeah, okay, I want more of this word. Because look at it, it's incredible. It's a love for the word of God. Not thinking, oh, it's stopping me doing all this bite, it's stopping me doing X, Y, and Z. It's the love. And Jesus is the word, and the spirit, and God. And you can see it. In there, David realizes that. Wonderful, powerful psalm. And it gives us insights into the rewards of meditating on the word of God. It reveals the great key to living a life of victory as a Christian. And that key is to seek and serve him with a whole heart. Blessed are those who seek him 